entrepreneurs, we're rooting ourselves in love and purpose. How do we build a sustainable venture to enable people to flourish? Any use of money is simply to serve this God on whom we are completely dependent. The only legacy that I care about is Jesus Christ. I don't care about my legacy. Jesus could kneel down and clean the feet of his disciples. If he can do that, he is God. Who are we? Entrepreneurship is changing Asia from within. Leaders across industries are taking up their God-given call to create. We are excited to highlight the many stories of what God is doing throughout our region. We will also feature entrepreneurs from around the world who have important things to say, no matter where they call home. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Asia podcast, where we spotlight entrepreneurs and innovators shaping the marketplace in our region. This week, we're talking with Jim Ayala. Jim left behind a successful career to seek out something more meaningful. He had done the corporate thing for years, working as a director for McKinsey and as the CEO of Ayala Land. The shared name is just a coincidence, since Jim has no relation to the family. He had success, but he started thinking about a question that would change his life forever. Why am I not spending my energy helping people who need it more? That question propelled him to the next phase of his career as the founder of Hybrid Social Solutions, a solar energy company for marginalized communities in his home country of the Philippines. He joins us for a great discussion about how his God-given call to create inspired him to empower others in his area and around the world. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Asia podcast. As always, I'm here with Wen. Wen, how are you? Good morning. Good evening to you. I'm, I'm doing great. And how are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. I got a chance to go to my son's alumni lacrosse game tonight, and that was fun. Two of my sons played. And it was just fun seeing them out there. But I'm also looking forward, I was looking forward to coming back because we're going to tell a great story tonight of a person who I've come to know and admire, Jim Ayala. Jim is in the house from the Philippines. Jim, how are you? Hey, Henry, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, just uh, here in Manila uh, in the heat of the summer. So this is like the middle of the summer for us. And it's just, it's just really, really hot. Uh, but that's good for our business because people are storing lots of energy from the sun. Free energy. Free energy. In, indeed, it's free. It is free. And if you can capture it, it's a big deal. And you're capturing it, you're starting to do it scale. It's making a huge impact. And we're going to talk about that. There's so much tonight that we're going to hit on. Um, but a lot of it's really rooted in your story. My hope is that after tonight that our listeners will get the sense of calling and purpose and how God's worked in your life. And before we went on live, you were even talking about how that's even accelerated over the last couple of years. And so hopefully our listeners will get a sense of that. It'll be an encouragement and that we'll all leave tonight with a little bit more of a sense about how God might call us to be involved in something really meaningful. So Jim, with you, I'd love to get started with your background. I think it's really important who you are, where you come from, and you've had a very interesting path to becoming a social, if not a keen or a faith-driven entrepreneur. So walk us through that. Give us a flyover of who you are and where you come from, please. Okay. Um, I was born in the Philippines, uh, and uh, my, my father was a, an honest <laughs> civil servant. 
which um, is quite rare these days. Uh, and we were really brought up, um, you know, I, I would say, according to the Jesuit tradition of being men for others. Mm. Uh, I went to a Jesuit high so, school. Ad maiorum dei gloriam, to the greater glory of God. Absolutely. So AMBG, we would write that on every homework, on every test. Uh, so went, you know, went through that for high school. Um, uh, unfortunately, my father died um, when he was 41 years old, uh, leaving my mom. And there were five of us uh, children. Uh, all quite young. Um, I was 14 at the time. Uh, and I remember on, on my father's deathbed, um, we, we had the privilege of, of you know, he got sick, but had about three months, um, you know, where he knew he was going to pass. And so we were able to spend time with him. Uh, and on his deathbed, he pulled me and my older brother aside. Uh, and he said, you boys, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to die. And so you guys are in charge. Uh, take care of your mom and your siblings, especially your little sister. Uh, we're four boys and and my and one girl, and my my sister was the youngest. Um, make sure that everyone uh, gets a good education, uh, because I I don't have much to give you, but what I can tell you is that it's your education that's going to be your 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 ticket uh, to you know being being able to, uh, to to really have impact. Uh, and then he said, uh, and then after you guys uh, go to school, uh, work for good companies, but at the end of the day, uh, come home and serve our country. Um, so I think, <laughs> you know, that was always with me. Uh, you know, those words obviously uh, had a big influence on my life. Uh, so I ended up going to school um, uh, at Princeton, uh, studied uh, economics uh, of developing countries because uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I wanted to go home and help you know help our country uh, become more prosperous. Uh, at the same time, I was very very interested in technology, and so I did a lot of work in electrical engineering and computer science. Um, after that, um, uh, went uh, went to work for McKinsey, a management consulting firm uh, mm-hmm. out of Texas. Um, did a lot of work in South America, um, and then went to business school. Uh, and then after business school, um, ended up uh, working in the McKinsey offices uh, in China, India, Southeast Asia. Uh, I helped open nine offices all over Asia, uh, wow. and ended up be- be- ended up becoming the head of the Asian energy practice. Um, so that's sort of uh, you know one of the reasons why I'm now in the energy business. Uh, kind of, I I, I understood, uh, I learned about the importance of energy and access to energy uh, when it comes to development. Very hard for people to get ahead without light and energy. You know, you, you need electricity to charge phones and computers, uh, pumps and all of that. So so that was, uh, I, I really learned that at McKinsey and that's, that's what I'm doing now. Man, that's amazing story. And thank you for sharing about um, how you grew up. And I can't imagine how, you know, you, you say that you always have the words of your dad in your head. And so my question is like being, uh, jumping into entrepreneurship and needing that comfort and that security uh, of a corporate job. Like how big a leap was that and how did you go about it? Was right. it like a calling from God and kind of what made you step out? Well, I, I, uh, I think I was quite uh, lucky that um, I was pretty clear about my purpose. You know, I think, uh, as you know, that this supposedly Mark Twain said, there are the two most important days of your life. Uh, you know, the, the day that you're born 
and then the day you find out why you're here on this earth. <laughs> um, and so I, I think I was pretty lucky, partly, um, you know, my father, who was a very godly man, you know, kind of called it. And so when you you hear these things from godly people, and then, you know, I learned over time that, you know, my, my purpose was really to help, you know, the poverty sector, to help with economic development. Uh, Philippines is a really, really poor country. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, the McKinsey experience was great. Uh, I actually worked in 30 different countries, you know, before, and then, and then finally ended up opening the Manila office. Uh, and, and so it was, it was really fantastic. But then as I became more senior, as you, as you become a senior director, um, you get pulled into the larger regional clients. And so, you know, Philippines is quite a small country. The big clients are are outside the Philippines. and so. At some point, I was really getting pulled out of the Philippines, and that's actually when I went to corporate. So I so I joined a, a, a group here in the Philippines, which is called Ayala Land, uh, the Ayala Corporation. I became president of Ayala Land. Uh, we have no relationship to them, uh, especially in the bank account, <laughs> but the last name was <laughs> was uh, was the same. And uh, so I, I joined them because I, I wanted to focus on the Philippines. McKinsey, I was traveling too much. Uh, and then I also found uh, that as a consultant, uh, your ability to have impact is only as good as your clients, um, your clients' ambition and your clients' uh, sincerity about pursuing these things. And so I, I think uh, when it came to development, you know, we were doing a lot of work with the government, but it, it just, you know, it was just not moving. So I, I felt I needed to be directly involved, like as a principal. And so that's when I went to Ayala Land. And so I took over, you know, we we build cities basically. And so at any point in time, we were building over a hundred projects, you know, hundred malls and buildings and developing at large scale, a little bit like Orange County, you know, that kind of scale, building cities. And and so that was that was great. And we we had we did a lot, and there were a lot of, you know, we we were able to drive economic development. But what I noticed was Things were not trickling down. Uh, you know, when you're working for a large for-profit publicly listed company, uh, as we were taught in business school, you put your scarce resources where you can generate the most value. Uh, and so that's servicing the top, I would say, 25% or even 10% of the country. Um, and uh, we were really, and, and then you hope that things trickle down. Right, that that's sort of what we were taught in the economics. Right, trickle down, and unfortunately, in a place like the Philippines, things don't trickle down. Uh, you know, the the people who have the power, you know, sort of keep all the value, uh, and very very little actually trickles down. And so I, you know, I kind of started feeling that I'm doing work that's generating value and helping shareholders do much better. Uh, our clients tend to be wealthy people, um, you know, but you know, the, there's very, very little that I'm actually doing for the sector that I'm being called to serve. Tell us um, a little bit more about that because you, you, you study this and you practice it and you practice it at scale. Is it, yeah. um, is this uh, something that you see regionally? Is it something specific to the Philippines? Is it a sub, is it a function of not having a competitive job market? I think about, yeah. for instance, in, in, in the States now, it's such a competitive job market. It's so difficult to, 
to be able to retain key talent because they can go someplace else. And so now there's, there is, there is a lot of trickle down. So in order to to get people working, but that, tell us about why that doesn't work in the Philippines and maybe in some other developing economies. Yeah. So I I do think this is a general issue, uh, especially um, in developing economic uh, economies where, where they're not as efficient. Um, So the way that I would frame it is, uh, so in the Philippines, uh, 80% of the poor live in rural areas. Um, and in general, you can frame it as uh, poverty. You can frame it as an issue of access. Poor people do not have access to the things that they need in order to fulfill their God-given potential. So no access to electricity, no access to clean water no access to jobs, no access to proper education, no prop- access to proper health care. So in the Philippines, for example, 75% of people that when they die, have no, don't see a doctor. They have no access to doctors, right? So wow. in terms of electricity, it's 25 million people have no electricity. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but y- you can imagine the potential <laughs> of these people is just the same as, you know, your potential and my potential. And if anything, the people that we work with are hungrier, you know, willing to work harder. You know, I mean, that, that when, when we work with them, it's just really amazing to see, you know, the kind of adversity. I mean, because they live very, very difficult lives. And so their resilience, you know, is amazing. Uh, and my, my people come from that sector. The, the, my, my frontliners come from local villages. I mean, their, their parents are fishermen and farmers. And so, you know, when we go light up a school, they need to cross 23 rivers to get there. And then when they come back, they're like, this is great. You know, we help so many people and, you know, but they were in danger crossing all of these rivers, but nobody complains. You know, they have to cross 23 off. rivers. That's amazing. Yeah, to, you, to get to a school and you get to that school and there's 800 kids there. Hmm. Right. And the school has no electricity and none of the kids have any electricity when they go home. And teachers are living in that school and they're from the cities, you know, because they're educated. And so, you know, it's a super hardship post. Uh, but you see the dedication uh, of the teachers. But, you know, so but it's you can't deliver good quality education without electricity and lighting and sound systems and computers. So was this like a pivotal point when you saw all of this um, and just being surrounded by poverty and you asked yourself the question, why am I not spending my energy helping those who need it more? Can you tell us kind of the birth of um, hybrid social solutions um, and what led to your business today? Right. I think um, for me, the way that God speaks to me is, um, you know, for me, it's that he closes doors and he opens doors. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, with, with my, my, my wife, God speaks to her much more directly, <laughs> you know, but for me, it's always a process of inference and just being, you know, he knows that I'm always running around like crazy, right? So it's, it's really needing to be quiet, needing to reflect, needing to be in communion with him. And, and so at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, since sometimes I don't get that, you know, he just closes the door, right? And so you keep banging your head on the wall. And at some point, you're like, okay, this is not the path <laughs> that the Lord wants me to follow. So, so I think it was really that process where, you know, as I was sort of moving up the corporate ladder and, you know, being very successful, um, you know, I just kept 
feeling that something was missing and um and doors were closing and doors were opening and and the big door for me that opened was a good friend of mine from McKinsey who had left and he um uh, started working in social enterprise i started understanding that uh, social that that business could really be used to um to address social issues um so i had that's what i had been struggling with for a while is how do i pursue my my calling so i could kind of go into government uh but unfortunately in the philippines um it's it's really broken uh you know and so the the government is a circus and i'm not a clown <laughs> unfortunately so it's just you know i don't have the skill set to succeed there um you know or you can go into sort of ngo space philanthropy um but you know and you, there's um, lots of amazing people are doing great work but generally you don't get that that's continu- continuous uh, effort and scale because you're generally relying on philanthropy which is very small um and so it's really business that can have a huge impact but the problem is that business the way that you're setting it up the objective function to maximize profit like i was doing in my first business you know wasn't really aligned with with this and so when i learned about social business social enterprise using business to directly meet the needs of the poor directly meet social issues i got super excited about it and so that's when i that's when i left uh corporate and said i'm going to become an entrepreneur and we're going to do social business uh, give us a case study let's just walk walk us through the social enterprise you have right now what's the problem yeah. you're solving how are you going about it and then maybe even as it goes along, let's let's contrast it to the way that maybe philanthropy works. Because my sense, yeah. and having known a bit of your story, is that you're really bringing in this sense of dignity and sustainability rather than the dependency. And that's that, that there are lots of wins there. But unpack it. Let's let's look at a case study. Yeah. What is it that you're doing right now, please? Okay. So so as I mentioned, the eighty percent of the poor are in rural areas. Uh, and when I study the rural areas, it's you know I frame it as an issue of access. People don't have access, and the reason they don't have access is nobody is going trying to provide for their needs. The needs are huge, but businesses generally are not going there. So the general paradigm is well, it's you rely on government, and government, you know, and and you rely on philanthropy, and so they will have programs, you know, to help the poor. Uh, unfortunately, those programs are just not very effective. The amount of resources available is very small. Uh, and in general, they are also done in such a way that make people dependent on handouts and doleouts, right? It's really a charity model. Um, so, uh, and then when you, and then if you look at it a little bit, so then you start to say, okay, well, what's the angle of attack? And what I found was that energy is very strategic. Um, and the reason why is, uh, as I started looking, a large uh, portion of the poor, have no access to proper energy. Uh, and the thing is, energy is needed by everything. You, you need energy for work, you need energy for education, you need energy for healthcare. And so um, I felt if I, if I was able to provide energy, um, I would help people directly, but I would also be relevant to other people that are trying to help these communities, but who can't help them because there's no energy. So, for example, think about people that are providing 
uh, you know, like uh, computers and, and internet to schools, uh, they can't go to that. There's over 10,000 schools in the Philippines with no electricity. They can't go in because there's no electricity. So if we provide the electricity, it makes it easy for somebody like that to come in. So, so I guess that that's sort of the, that's the main focus. And so we started yeah. focusing on energy. Uh, so the way that we um, talk about our vision is we want to end energy poverty in the Philippines. So that's the vision. Um, and our mission, how we are going to achieve that vision is we are building a gridless solar electricity network. So the normal paradigm of providing electricity is extend the electricity grid, right? The electric company, you know, extend that. And of course, in a place like the Philippines with 7,600 islands, volcanoes, lots of mountains, um, you, you, it just ain't going to happen because the communities are too far flung and it's super, super expensive to extend the grid. Um, and in fact, where you have the grid in the peripheries of the grid, because we also have 20 typhoons a year, you know, for that climate. So, sure. so I said, there's got to be, there's got to be a different way. Uh, and essentially it's, it's a completely different system, different paradigm. And so it's give, enabling people, everyone has their own solar generator. So you have a panel, you have light, you have electricity, and importantly, you have a battery. So everyone's got their battery. Um, and so if you put that in the hands of people, then they have enough energy to meet their needs. So that's a gridless, it's a gridless network because we're not on the grid, we're actually off grid. And it's a so and and we're providing electricity through solar. So I follow. And interestingly, Jim, I actually maybe I should have mentioned this before, but I spent a lot of time in in Houston. I used to be in the electricity trading business and and spent a lot of time, okay. of time looking yeah. at the grid and understand uh, a bit about how that works. And yet, you can see how that just wouldn't work across seventy six hundred islands. Okay, so bring us yeah. into the nuts and bolts about actually how it works. So I'm yeah. a village leader or. I'm I'm on one of these 7,600 islands. I get wind of the fact that there is a solution out there that might be able to help me. How do I interact with, how do I find you? How do I interact? What is it that is the actual solution? Who pays for it? What's the payoff? Walk us through that. Yeah. So the, um, what we're building, when I say gridless solar electricity network, um, what we're building are what we call last mile value chains. So imagine you're in a super rural, like you said, you're, you're somebody in a very remote village. So you, you have to solve several problems. The first problem, like you said, is how does he even know about this? So I need to have uh, people, and we, are, we call our so salespeople solaristas. A solarista um, goes into the villages and we basically demo our products. Right. So we demo our products and then the people. And so I, I forgot to mention one thing. Uh, the products that we sell are specifically designed for the needs of rural people. Right. These are not designed for people in America going camping. Right. These are really specifically designed for rural people. And so we partner with technology providers that have really understood and studied the specific needs of farmers and fishermen living in very remote villages. So so, so that's that, that's the starting point. Um, we then, so we go and we need to demo. So people say, hey, that's great. I want to get one. Um, 
Well, sorry, when we demo, uh, you need to be able to explain the benefits, right? Uh, so people need to understand they're not buying a gadget. They're actually buying a tool that can help them save money, that can help them earn extra money, that can help their kids with education. Uh, when people get our products, the kids study 45% longer and their grades go up. Uh, it helps with their health because normally they're inhaling a lot of smoke from kerosene lamps. So our clients cough 56% less, um, you know, and so it kind of goes on and on in terms of benefits. We have nine, nine major benefits when, when we market. So then, so they're interested in getting it. The problem is they can't afford it. So a typical uh, product on average will cost them about $100, right? So it's $100 and their average income for the whole month for the family is $100. So it's one month salary or not not salary most of these people are self-employed um and so we need to finance it so nobody can afford the hundred bucks outright but everyone can afford two dollars a week for 50 weeks right especially when the moment they have it they're saving money and they're earning extra money to the tune of 40 dollars a month so right now, our financing plans is they're spending $8 a month, but they're getting $40 a month in return, <laughs> right? So it's so the thing is a no-brainer financially. Yeah. Um, so the, the trick is we need to provide microloans to them. So what we do is we partner with microfinance institutions. Um, and in the Philippines, this is quite an advanced sector. Uh, but we only partner with microfinance partners that are development-oriented. Most of the people doing money lending are happy to lend you money to buy stuff that you don't need. <laughs> and so they end up with very, very high default rates. But that's not a problem because the interest rates are really, really high. So just to give you a bit of a sense for, for this, which is important to understand the sector, the most prevalent money lending in the Philippines is called 5-6, 5-6. And it's basically, it came in, and these are actually Sikhs from India. So it's, an, it's, it's run by this group of Indians from, uh, that are Sikhs, and they go around and they lend money. Uh, so if you're a, you're a vendor in a market, you'll borrow five, five in the morning uh, to buy, you know, so that you have your fish. <laughs> And then you'll sell it. And then at the end of the day, you'll pay the money lender six, right? Which is 20% interest per day. 20% interest per day. Wow. But the, the thing that's wild about this is it's super, super prevalent. It's been around for decades and decades, right? I mean, it's part of our culture. Five, six, 20% interest per day. So the, but to me, the big insight there is the poor have business opportunities that earn 20% interest per day, right? Because this is a yes, sustainable yes. business. It's sustainable. And the thing is, all the value is going to the money lender. There's nothing left for the guy that does all the work, right? And then he's, you know, at the end of the day, he keeps nothing, right? So, so the big challenge is how do we help the poor? to move ahead you know, economically is you need to share more of the value that they're creating. They need to be able to capture more of the value that they create. So in solving this energy uh, problem, it's really multifaceted. 
you've got the, um, you know, the borrowing issue, capturing the value. And um, I'm intrigued about hearing more about the solar readers, about how you're building this company. So you're meeting the local yeah. needs and um, right. yeah, meeting people where they're at and creating a product yeah. that works for them. Yeah. Um, but how about internally? How are you meeting the needs of, a, I'm assuming, a very quickly people, growing yeah. staff? Yeah, to try and get right. the word out and doing those demonstrations. So my guys, um, my solaristas, uh, are all in a solar hub. So a solar hub would be our office in a particular region, and then each solarista would have their own sales territory. Um, and so a solarista needs to basically deploy three units per day in order for the whole thing to work, right? So if they're doing one unit per day, I'm losing money. Two units per day, I'm barely breaking even. Three units per day, we're very healthy. Um, so three units per day at $100, right? $300 times 20 days uh, per week. So that would be, you know, about $6,000, um, you know, per, per solarista in terms of that would be what he would need to generate from a sales standpoint. And three units per day is not too hard because he will be assigned... You know, we, we talk about our microfinance partners. They have branches and loan officers. So, so he will be assigned uh, to three different branches. So he becomes pretty close to the branch managers and he goes to the branch manager and he says, okay, this week, you know, who should I go with? And then he'll go with those loan, loan officers and they'll make demos, right? And so these, uh, a typical branch will have 2,000 clients, 2,000 families. So he's got 6,000 clients, that's his market, and he only needs to sell three in a day, right? It's not that hard. It's not that hard. So we've got some guys that have been making $40,000 a month, right? The quote, the budget is 6,000. So I think we've been able to get it to the point where they're, they're meeting their, they're meeting their quotas. So we're profitable. Every single solar hub has been profitable over the last couple of years. And none of this works if you not being able to provide a real value prop for the end customer, right? So you talked before about the, what the value prop is and, and, and how much money they're saving versus um, not having energy. Um, maybe just right. touch to that in a second, but, but I am remarking on the fact that there's this whole ecosystem. Cause you mentioned a term along right. the way called technopreneur. Right. Presumably these are entrepreneurs who go out to service the deal. So you're working with a loan right. officer who's able to make some money on the margin by lending for right. your solar operation. You've got the solaristas who are, have, are obviously part of this. You've got the technopreneur, and then right. you've got the customer. Everybody's in participating in the value chain, and it becomes sustainable. Right. And then there's enough margin left in it for the social enterprise, which you run. Maybe just because right. you mentioned at the beginning, I just want to make sure we fo- go full circle before we talk about the role that your faith plays in all this. But yeah. tell uh, just mention real quickly again what the value prop is for one of these three families that the solar race is going to be selling every day. So, th- so when they save money, they earn extra money because you can be productive at night. Uh, you can work in the evening. You can uh, your store. You can keep it open at night, and you can. You know, when your store's open at night, uh, our, our guys typically earn about 30, 40% more. Uh, you can use it if you're a fisherman, you use it. We have fishing lights. They catch five times more fish with our lights. Uh, you can use it to protect your crops. Uh, if you have fruit trees, um, the big issue is fruit bats. Fruit bats eating your fruits. And when do fruit bats come? They come at night. 
And so we have people using the lights. They stay up all night when the when it's harvest time to drive away bats. And they earn 30, 40% more. By, because, you know, their yield, their yield is so much higher. I have one client with a, you know, just small, a very small uh, area. They earned $1,000 more, uh, you know, when by using this to protect their crops and bought a motorcycle. That motorcycle, used motorcycle is now being used, you know, for their businesses and they're saving money, right? So you just kind of get that economic development going, right? It's a starting point and people climb up. Um, education, you know, we said education, health care, emergencies, you can seek help when there's emergencies, communication, because now you can charge your phone. Uh, we have internet, uh, we, we've got, we're working on some internet access uh, products, so they'll have now access to the web. Um, you know, so it just, it goes on and on, actually. That's um, incredible. We've got one. Yeah. That's a lot is, of benefits. Yeah. And as a social entrepreneur, like, you know, the impact, you can really measure it. You can tell the stories. And um, I guess now it's like the faith part. And when we were prepping for this call, um, you were talking about how, you know, as a, you started your journey as a social entrepreneur. And now you see yourself right. as a kingdom uh, entrepreneur. Can you um, yeah, right. unpack that for us uh, about how, you know, okay. about the last two years of your journey in terms of integrating your faith? Right. Um so I, you know, I, the way I had framed it before is that, you know, my, my, I'm being called to, to help with economic development and to help the poor. And so, you know, really designed the whole business in order to do that at scale. Uh, we, in fact, by the end of this year, we will have 900,000 people using our systems every day. It's a lot of people. Um, but it was really only in the last year and a bit, you know, when I heard about FDE, uh, through Andy, my daughter, <laughs> uh, you know, and then I got to know what you guys are doing and learned a lot is that I started really, you know, thinking about, you know, yes, I'm helping the poor, but what am I doing to actually share the gospel? Right. And we were, you know, that's what we're, you know, really truly called to do. Right. And as we know, like Jesus would help people. <laughs> Right. But, you know, to pay attention. But at the end, it was really about the good news. And, you know, and, and so I started, you know, so this is on my faith walk together with uh, my, my small group uh, reading. You know, what, you know I, I've been really delving into, you know, kind of, you know, what can we do to, sh to share the gospel? And I'm now in relationship. Our guys are in relationship with hundreds of thousands of people. And there, these are very close relationships, and and so you know, I, I started becoming convinced and convicted that you know I can't stop at just meeting people's physical needs, right? I've got to be involved in the more important stuff, which is to to help meet their spiritual needs. Um, thank you for sharing. And on that, in terms of diving in, like, has there been a verse or a passage that's been really speaking to you uh, recently? I think um, it, it's really, uh, you just go back to the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as in heaven. Uh, and so you start to say, what can we do? Like, you know, we're all given our, our areas of influence, our own kingdoms where we have agency right so within my kingdom what am i trying to do in this kingdom and 
Am I trying to maximize profits for myself or am I actually trying to advance God's will, you know, in my sphere of influence? And so I think that's really the starting point. This really, you know, we are called, you know, I mean, the Lord gave Adam, you know, gave man uh, dominion over the earth and and we're doing a terrible job. (laughs) Uh, So what can we do to restore things back to the way that, it was intended. What can we do to be redemptive? What can we do, you know, to be regenerative? You know, it, it can't just be do no harm, right? It's got to be, you know, much more proactive than that. Tell us as you, or thank you for sharing that. I, this has been, this has been awesome. As you wrestle through the impact that you're having and then wanting to be able to address not only financial poverty, but spiritual poverty, how did and you've been looking at that over the last couple of years? Yeah. How how does that work its way out in in the business? Have yeah. what, what what have you done? What have you, maybe you you've succeeded, maybe you failed? But tell us about it. Yeah, I, I think the critical thing is at the end, as, as you know, it's it's really uh, I have to be very careful about the heart. Uh, whenever when you're in business, you know, money comes into play, and you know, it's about you know, and and our guys earn commissions, right? And and so you know, so so the first thing is about the heart. And so the way that we've been gotten after that is let's not focus on sales. Let's focus on impact. So mm-hmm. impact is about how many families are you helping? And so that's that's about number of units deployed, right? So units deployed is exactly the same as sales, right? Uh, so so but we're focusing on units. And so when we when we talk with our partners, because, uh, you know, I, they, they shouldn't be focused on what's my sales. They should, you know, the reason they partner with us is we say, you know, a lot of your microfinance clients, a lot of them are suffering from energy poverty. So why don't we work together? And, and you guys are, are, that is your mission is, is to help poverty. So why don't we focus on this energy poverty thing together? And so, so that's sort of how we, we work. And what happens is we, we give a lot of recognition and we give sort of bonuses based on impact. So everything is about how much impact are we having? And secondly, it's, it's about telling stories. Um, so we have a whole system of, you know, kind of capturing stories because um, the idea is you, you, your job, when you sell, you're not done. That's just the start. Right. The real action is how do you help your clients maximize what they just, it's a big investment for these people, right? Yeah. How do you really help them maximize it? And then those stories go into impact reports and those impact reports are shared with our partners and our partners say, Hey, this is great. Why don't we keep doing this together? Why don't we, why don't we expand to other branches and let's make more solar loans? Right. And so, so I think a big, a big part has been framing. Uh, everything in terms of the KPIs, right? In terms of impact. Yeah. So what's happening now is we're saying, well, you know, our vision is to end energy poverty, but there's something that goes above vision, and that's purpose. And so, what's our purpose as a company? And we introduced that a year and a half ago, and we said it's to advance God's kingdom. So the core purpose of the company is to advance God's kingdom. So how we how do we do that? Yes, we help people. And so the impact is part of advancing God's kingdom. Uh, the part that we're trying to work in now and be inten- intentional about is how do we also share the gospel? And how do you do that as a business? We are not a church, yeah. right? And so where do we draw the line? How do we do that? 
Uh, but in general, my guys have not been properly discipled. So I need to work with a chap with our, you know, chap that I'm hiring a chief spiritual officer to help me. Somebody at the C-suite level that can really drive the programs, um, you know, for, and then maybe chaplains in the different regions yeah. who can then connect, connect people to local pastors and churches. So we need to disciple our guys and then we need to have programs so that when my guys are dealing with fishermen and farmers and families and they're in relationship with them, how do they share the gospel? So I want to, I just want to, as we come to a close and, I, and we're going to need to do a part two of this because I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole model and, and, and just understanding more of these stories coming from the top. So I want to finish the way that we started a little bit. And uh, what I think that you're suggesting, and forgive me if I'm, I'm, I'm using a, uh, a term and a description that you used before, but it's effectively uh, a trickle down form of spirituality, which I like, by the way. So it's your heart's been transformed as a CEO. You've come to understand that God has a purpose and that he's given you this platform with hundreds of thousands of people to be able to address financial and spiritual poverty. But then it starts with your key workers and to disciple them first because mm-hmm. they will then, and tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but they'll be compromised to the extent that they can really then share the gospel and, you know, ushering God's kingdom unless their hearts have been transformed. And then right. it goes through the next level to the technopreneurs and maybe loan officers, et cetera. But that's kind of this way that things are going. Right. Is that indeed the way you're looking at it? Absolutely. Uh, and one of my mentors said, uh, yes, that's true, but don't worry. Uh, because when your guys show up in the village and they're just loving on people and, you know, going, I mean, literally that extra mile in order to fix that broken unit, um, you know, that's really a form of pre-evangelization, right? They are just showing up um, and the way that the moon reflects the sun, they are reflect. They are already reflecting Christ's love. And so just, it, it goes a huge, huge way. You don't need to be, you know, sort of seminary <laughs> trained, right, to do this, right? You just go and you just love on people and you show, uh, you know, our, our culture is um, Mother Teresa meets Don Quixote meets the Marines. Um, okay. So our guys have that heart of service, that love, um, you know, to, to help people and the willingness to sacrifice. Uh, Don Quixote, as you know, had this crazy impossible dream and people mm-hmm. just thought he was nuts, right? But he didn't care. He just went and did it. So our guys wake up in the morning with this crazy dream to end energy poverty. Uh, and then you just got to be tough like a Marine and you got to operate as a team because you, you, I mean, you can imagine you're way out there on your own. So you, you need to be part of a, a team. <laughs> um, so Mother Teresa meets Don Quixote meets the Marines. When our guys um, embody that and they just show up and they, you know, if something's broken, they fix it. Um, you know, when they go into the home and they, train people how to use it so it will maximize benefits. You know, that's that's pre-evangelization. Um, and that's what I'm excited about. We, we've got that those deep relationships. Uh, I'm now trying to figure out how do we leverage that for God's glory to go even further. And that's what I'm really uh, focusing on these days from a strategy standpoint. May that be the case. Heavenly Father, we lift up Jim's business and we lift up the solaristas and the technopreneurs and just in the partners. And we just ask that indeed it would start with all of us that to the listeners of this podcast, to the hosts of this podcast, dear Lord, 
May our hearts continue to be transformed by the amazing reality that you love us and you've given us life now and for eternity. And dear Lord, I just ask that you'd allow Jim to experience your joy as he goes out and be as a part of these stories of just, um, just freedom, the freedom that comes from being able to have energy and education, but ultimately um, the access to the real truth that, that you love them, honor him, protect him, give him favor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We are grateful for the opportunity to serve this community and have listeners tune in from over 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. You can find fellowship with other like-minded leaders by joining a foundation group. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with peers in your area or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected with us by signing up for our monthly newsletter at asia.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible with the special help of our team and friends across the movements. Thanks to everyone leading entrepreneur groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your area. We are grateful for you. Hey, everyone. All opinions expressed on this podcast, including the team and guests, are solely their opinions. Host and guests may maintain positions in the companies and securities discussed. And this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as specific investment advice for any individual or organization. Thanks for listening.